Jude verse 1, the little book of Jude right before Revelation verse 1, and I'll read verse 1, 2, and 3, talk to you about contending for the promise. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to look at that verse 3 again. I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. We are a people of promise. And many of us have personal prophetic promises from God that we are holding on to and believing to see them come to pass. The Bible instructs us in 1 Thessalonians 5.20 that we must never despise prophecy. We have to hold it up, honor it, understand it, judge it, and then we have to pray it back to the Father. So we are a prophetic people. We have the promises of the Word of God. And God has made His church some tremendous promises. Number one, we have the promise of His presence in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Secondly, we have the promise of His provision in Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Number three, we have the promise of his pardon in Isaiah 55, verse 7, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. We have the promise, fourthly, of his protection, Psalms 91, verse 11, and he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Number five, we have the assurance of his presence during times of persecution, Second. Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Number six, we have the promise of his peace. In Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Number seven, we have the promise of his prosperity. In 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Number eight, we have the promise of his perfection. First John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that we, when he is revealed, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. Until that time, we will know in part and prophesy in part, but there comes a day when that which is in part is done away with. And when we see him, we shall be like him. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we've been given great and precious promises. But I must caution you that we have to contend for those promises. How many of you have a prophetic word? You have a promise from God that has not yet been fulfilled. Anyone? You're standing, you're waiting, you're believing. Well, you must contend for your promise. How many of you are trusting God for a specific promise concerning you personally? Perhaps for a family member? Or you're standing in agreement with a friend? It's time to contend for the promise. Jesus instructs us in Matthew eleven twelve, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What does that scripture mean? Dr. Jack Hayford writes, he said, The unique grammatical construction of the text 
does not make clear if the kingdom of God is the victim of violence or if as the kingdom advances in victory, it does so through violent spiritual conflict and warfare. But the context does. Jesus references to the non-religious style of John and the confrontive miraculous ministry of Elijah teaching that the kingdom of God makes its penetration by a kind of violent entry opposing the human status quo. It transcends the softness of staid religious formalism and exceeds the pretension of child's play. It refuses to dance to the music of society's expectation that the religious community provide either entertainment or dead traditionalism. Dr. Hayford continues, the upheaval caused by political provocation or armed advance. It is the result of God's order shaking relationships, households, cities, and nations by the entry of the Holy Spirit's power working in people. So that tells me that we have to learn how to stand our ground and we have to learn how to become violent in the realm of the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that we take up guns and knives and spears and swords and those kinds of things. But what that means is we learn how to do business with God and we learn how to stand and do spiritual warfare over the promises that God has given to us. So we have to become a tenacious people, a people who refuse to give in to the nose of the enemy, a people that refuse to take everything the devil brings to our doorstep. Some folks just think, well, God must have sent this and just open the door and let the devil come in. No, we got to close the door on the enemy and stand our ground in the name of the Lord. Promises of God are not always just automatic. It takes a tenacious warrior to inherit their promise. I found that the enemy will contest every piece of real estate. So when I talk about territory, we're not just going to march into a geographical location and say, well, here's the boundaries, we're here, hallelujah, and the devil's going to throw down his weapons and run. No, the devil's been there entrenched. He's got strongholds. He's got emplacements there, and he's well fortified in that place. So what we have to do is we have to go into that place, and we have to stand our ground until the devil yields that ground. You see, many of the promises of God are conditional. Now, they're unconditional promises. But there's also many conditional promises. I believe that New Testament prophecies are conditional upon our obedience. What are you doing with the prophetic words that God has spoken over you? When the children of Israel went into the promised land, they first had to dispossess the enemy. One of the first battles was against the city of Jericho. These cities were walled, securely shut up, well defended, and impenetrable with God's enablement. You see, the devil you fight today might be entrenched. And he might have positioned himself defensively. But we have a promise. And when we contend for the promise, we will possess our promise. They faced giants. You remember when the ten spies came back? They said, these cities are walled up to the heavens. They're giants in the land. They faced giants. The armies they came against was well equipped, better trained, had greater weapons than they had. But God gave them a promise. Listen, we're outgunned. We're outnumbered. The the world's better equipped probably than we are. But we have something that the world don't have. We have the promise of God. So God gave them a promise to enable them to overcome the enemy and possess what he had promised them as an inheritance. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18, the apostle Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus. And he's writing and giving him practical instruction. And you have to understand that this is during a time of severe persecution. The church had gone through a severe persecution. And Timothy's a young man. One of the things he tells Timothy is don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't allow them to despise your youth. But you be an example to them in your conduct, in your speech, and in how you, how you conduct yourself among the church. 
And he writes to him. And here's what he says in verse 18. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the promise prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. You wage a good warfare. Now I want you to note that word warfare and good. If you've noticed, but here we are dealing with North Korea. North Korea is threatening Guam where we have naval bases and a territory of the United States. North Korea has now shot a missile over the top of Japan. If you don't think that is not provocative, and it, we're not at, we could very well be at the brink of some type of, of war. And the generals and those who understand war and know warfare, you know what they're saying? They're saying a war with North Korea would be devastating because of all of the artillery that they aim towards South Korea. And it could devastate South Korea's economy for 10 years. Tens of thousands of people could die if there's a war with North Korea. But these generals understand the cost of warfare. They understand what's happening. And there's no good warfare. But notice what Paul said to Timothy. You wage the good warfare. He uses that term good and warfare in that sentence. Now listen, in war, lives are lost, people are wounded, properties are lost, and nations are devastated. But this is a different kind of warfare. This is a warfare that's conducted on your knees. This is a warfare that is conducted with your speech. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. What are our weapons? Our weapons are the word of God. Our weapons is the power of our testimony. Our weapons is the blood of Jesus. Our weapons is being led by the Spirit. Our weapons are the New Testament. The New Testament church's weapons are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are the weapons that we possess. So Paul writes concerning how we are to contend to see the fulfillment of our promise. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. And what he's saying is this command according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Verse 19, having faith and a good conscience. So Paul instructs us to do two things in this passage of Scripture to realize our prophetic promises and to enter into our inheritance. First of all, we're to wage a good warfare. How do we wage warfare for our prophetic promises? How do we contend for the promises of God? First off, we have to meditate on the promises. You have to meditate in this book you have to read this book, study this book, find out what it says to you. Find out what it says about your particular circumstance that you need. How do I approach that? What does the word say about that? What I'm going through right now, I need a word from God's word. So I begin to read this book. And I don't read this book like I'm reading a novel. I don't read this book like I'm studying a history textbook. But you don't read this book that way. You read this book on your knees. You read this book, you meditate on it, you study it. You go back over it and you read it again and read it again. I've been reading the Psalms. Some of you have been reading with me. And I, I'm just barely past Psalms 46. I should be about to about the 75th Psalm if I stay on track. But I've been going back and reading over some of them again. And I'll take it and I'll read it out loud to Beth. I'll say, listen to what this says. And I'll read it to her. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So you've got to meditate on this book. You, it, really, you devour this book. You eat this book. This book's the most important book. It's more important than any other book that you can have in your library, any other book. That, if you can only have one book, you just need this one right here. And you begin to read it, meditate on it. And if you take three weeks and one chapter, that's all right. Read it, study it, let it speak to you. Let God speak to you through it. Because this book will make your faith grow. 
It'll make your faith expand. It'll wash over your mind and it'll bring a renewal in your mind. And what will happen is, as you read and study and meditate on this book, you'll find that you start to be convinced more and more and more that God's able to keep his word, to keep his promises and do what he's promised you he'd do. So I encourage you to make the word of God a priority. So we wage a good warfare. We meditate on the promises. Listen to what Philippians 4.8 says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If you're going to wage a good warfare, you're going to have to guard your mind. Guard your thought life. We have to have our minds renewed by learning to spend time meditating in the Word. We have to watch over our thoughts. The Bible says when lust or desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin begins in our mind in the processes of our thoughts. As a man thinks in his heart, the Proverbs writer said, so is he. To watch over our thoughts. Let me encourage you, don't dwell on adverse circumstances. Sometimes we make the circumstances bigger than God. How many of you facing challenges tonight? You need God to answer some things that you're going through right now. If you're not careful, you'll dwell on those things. And you'll become discouraged. And discouragement can lead to a depression, a heaviness in our spirit. Heaviness that comes against our mind. So we have to learn to discipline our minds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not work according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Stronghold is, is a series of thoughts. It's a mindset. We have to pull that down. Notice it didn't say cast out the stronghold. It says you pull it down. You have to dismantle it. You have to take it apart. How do I do that? By reading the word and allowing the word to wash over my heart, over my mind, over who I am. And my, nine, my mind begins to get renewed. And I see in the word that what I believed in the world and what I was taught maybe in tradition sometimes don't line up with the word. So what happens? My mind gets renewed. And my faith begins to grow. And I begin to see things in a different way. And I begin to move in a spirit of revelation. And the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. Then verse 5 says, casting down arguments. Where do arguments take place? In your mind. If the Lord speaks to you to do something, before you can act on that, there'll be an argument that begins to take place, a discussion that begins to take place. Did God really tell me to give that $100 in the offering? I really need that $100 because my rent's due next week. Did God really speak to me to do that, to go there to witness to that person? And if I witness that person, they may reject me. You understand what I'm saying? There's an argument that begins. What we have to do is we have to deal with the argument. And you act on what God says by faith. And here's how you know it's an argument from the enemy. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? Everything you need about, to know about God, you can find it right here in this book. Then what I do, I have to bring those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So how do I bring a thought into captivity? You bring those thoughts into captivity. Where do the thoughts come from? Thoughts come from different places. Number one, the enemy will come and put thoughts in your mind. I don't believe the enemy reads my mind, but I believe the enemy knows how to read me because he's been a student of the human race for all these years and he's watched us and studied us and he's assigned imps and demons to come against us. So he can read who we are and by our reactions. And thoughts will come. That's why we have to have, the Bible talks about the fiery darts of the devil. We have to have the shield of faith. Thoughts can come from the enemy. If you have a thought that's contrary to the knowledge of God, that's in opposition to who you are in Christ, that's a thought from the enemy. What I need to do, I need to stop and say, in the name of Jesus, I take dominion over that thought. I can't begin to dwell on those things and allow those things to take root in my heart. Thoughts can come from your own mind. 
Your mind will think in extremes. See, your mind, your will, and emotions are a part of your soul. And your soul, you have to bring your mind under subjection to the word. See, when you get born again, your mind don't get renewed. Your spirit gets born again. But your mind has to be renewed by meditating on the word of God and walking in victory. And I believe sanctification comes and and empowers us to live an overcoming life. But we have to know sometimes your mind will just think in extremes. But sometimes God can give us a thought. He speaks in that still, small voice can come up in our thought line. I believe it comes from your heart. But it manifests in your mind. So we have to discern where do those thoughts come from and how do I take them captive? You take them captive by not allowing them a place. The Bible says neither give place to the devil. I don't begin to dwell on those things. But I take those thoughts captive. Cast down those thoughts. You understand? Depending on how you grew up and where you grew up, many times that shapes our thinking. So we believe God. Fight the good fight of faith. First Timothy 6.12 Lay hold on eternal wealth. I submit to you that the promises of God are worth the fight. It's worth contending for. Secondly, have faith and a good conscience, verse 19 says. What do we do? We believe God keeps his word and he longs to fulfill the promises he makes to his children. In Mark 11, 22 through 24, Jesus is speaking. Listen to what he says. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever... He says. So my my speech has got to line up with my believing. Sometimes you got to watch over what you say. I'm not saying that that we take this thing to an extreme. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Don't take it to the extreme, you know, where you're trying to deny your circumstances and pretend that's faith. Faith does not deny the circumstances. Faith looks the circumstances straight in the eye and say, this might be the reality now, but God's about to intervene and my reality is going to change. Weapons are formed, but they don't prosper. So don't take it to the extreme. But Jesus said he'll have whatever he says. Well, you know, my daddy died when he was 65, so I don't think I'll live past 65. Don't come into agreement with that. Don't, don't come into agreement with what the enemy's saying. Come into agreement with what God says. Say, I'm going to live out every day of my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to fulfill my destiny. Watch over how you speak and what you say. That's a weapon that you can use. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Just begin to believe that what God said is a reality. My children are all going to serve the Lord. My grandchildren are going to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. He said, but they're not serving the Lord right now. But yes, but they are. I'm going to begin to see them that way. I'm going to begin to talk about it like that. When you come to God, God's just going to use you so mightily. You're not going to wait till you're on your deathbed to come to God, but you're going to come to God while you're young, while you can work for him. And you're not going to be one of these Christians that just shows up every three months. Begin to see that. Begin to get that into your, into your thinking. Let that be a part of the faith confession that you make over them. See, right now I might be broke, but I'm not always going to be broke. Right now I, I might be having a hard time getting my rent paid every single month, but God's going to change my circumstances because I'm living in covenant with him and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And as I do what I'm supposed to do, then God's going to do what he promised he would do. See, you're going to have whatever you say. But then you got to believe it. And notice what he said in verse 24. Believe that you receive them. Woo, I just receive it, Lord. I receive it. I'm carrying that promise. See, my circumstances right now don't look like what my promise says that God's going to bring me into. 
So what I have to choose to do is look beyond my circumstances and see the promise that God made to me. You said I was going to be healthy and whole. So I'm believing that, Lord. You said that I'm going to, I'm going to be the head and not the tail. You said you're going to promote me, Lord. I'm going, to, I'm going to believe for those things that you promised me. So I believe and I receive what you have promised me and said that I can have. And I'm contending in faith by standing my ground against negative circumstances, against the negative thoughts, against the attacks of the enemy, and against the entrenched enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy what God said I can have and I'm going to have what God said I can have and I'm going to be what God said I can be in Jesus name Abraham you remember Abraham 100 years old and God says you're going to have a baby and the Bible said that Abraham believed God's promise he hoped against hope he believed the promise of God let me read it to you and then I'm finished Romans chapter 4 verse 21 and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to to perform. That's what faith is. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Hallelujah. Stand with me. That's how we contend for our promise.